Welcome back, friends, to Beyond the Sectors, your bi-monthly podcast all about the world of author duo Kit Roca. My name is Chelsea. And I'm Anna. And today, friends, we are here to talk about Beyond Innocence, which is book six in the series. Um, we've got a lot to talk about today, friends. We were just kind of doing some brainstorming before we started recording, and there's a lot of stuff to talk about. So we'll go ahead and kick it off. Anna, do you want to go ahead and give us a quick plot summary? Sure. Uh at the end of uh, uh, Beyond Addiction, we have a fur cover, uh, a blood covered, uh, drugged out widow show up. Uh, that is um, Lily Fleming. Uh, she was the wife of Logan Beckett, and she has killed her guard and walked out of five with pocketfuls of drugs and has found unlikely sanctuary with the O'Kanes. Um, and she is running out of those drugs and is starting to find it very difficult to ignore all the sexuality around her, all those feelings people seem to be throwing each direction. And uh, into her life walks in Jared. Jared is um, a whore in, uh, in the sectors, uh, but now we find out also a spy for the O'Kanes. And he sort of takes her under his wing, sort of unwillingly, um, but really comes to care for her. And it's their story of how they get caught up in some dark doings in Eden. This book tackles um, so many different like plot and world building things, but also I feel like really gives us uh, kind of the defining thesis for the series as a whole, but especially moving forward from this point through the rest of the books. Um, I was really taken I always have a very like soft spot in my heart for this book because it feels very um old world because of this club that Jared is setting up and because of some of the the trappings and the finer things that Lily's used to there's something that feels very old Hollywood about the scope of this right. book and I mean and that is her look mm-hmm. um, th- there's this great scene where she eventually you know she she starts figuring out that you know that those short skirts and leather that's not going to work she's trying to put those on affect fitting in to the uh, the world of the O'Kanes. And much like Trix, who's also from Five, she just can't do it. That is not her. And um, she the, the look that she ends up going is very femme fatale, silks and, and old world Hollywood mm-hmm. charm. And I also love that we are getting to finally really know Jared. Jared is a character that we've seen them on the periphery of a lot of things um, because of his relationship with Ace and Gia and their history in the sector. And kind of the more expansive the politics get, the more all of them kind of get drawn into the world of the O'Kanes. But this book, we really get the chance to um, peek behind the walls. We've really only ever heard about Jared from Ace. And Ace has a very mm-hmm. specific kind of lens and way that he's coming to his relationship with Jared that in this book we see kind of get peeled back and see some of the ways in which that's both true and false yeah. and and yeah. we really get to know Jared as his own individual and it's just I really like him this is a spy book I always am really into like spy novels and double crossings and those yeah, kinds Greek of political to tensions it as their, duke, their duke spy and yeah. I, I totally agree because I mean he's rich He's made a lot, a lot of money um, making the fantasies of Eden women uh, come to life. But that also has trapped him in that he is always somebody's fantasy, not somebody's real person. And um, including that's part of the tension with his relationship with Ace. They've grown up as brothers, but as we find out in the book, 
Jared has loved Ace for a very, very long time. And uh, has had to sort of accept that Ace doesn't see him that way. Um, and but still can't stop loving him, you know? So there's that element of, uh, of Jared, but yeah, he's this suave, he dresses, you know, he's always in the suits and the press clothing, um, just looks sophisticated and all of the finer things, you know, he is the wine to all the whiskey in, mm-hmm. in the O'Kane world. And I really think that, and you mentioned it, you, you tweeted about a little bit when you were reading, and I really think that it's something that happens really frequently with this series of books. And I think it's, interesting in terms of what it says about the bigger picture of like Mm -hmm. romance as a whole but because so many of these books end in male female romantic pairings the queerness and the queer relationships that undergird pretty much literally every aspect of this book uh can sometimes get erased or can get intentionally championed against or ignored um and that wraps up a whole bunch of different things with like fetishism and and heteronormativity and and some low-key homophobia and stuff but i just think it's it stands out very clearly in the relationship between Ace and Jared because they are brothers, but there's also a deep line of queer love and desire mm-hmm. for queerness mm-hmm. that runs through there. Mm-hmm. That it's not like with like Bren and Cruz or Bren and Ace or something, which is much more just a platonic um, kind of brotherly affection. There's some really deep love on Jared's part. And so part of this novel is his being heartbroken and him also learning to come through that pain and into this possibility of a new relationship right because i mean his whole motivation i mean ace has been trying to make him an okane for years i mean when we first see that conversation you see that it's been happening for like jared is tired of yeah how it's often it, ace, they've had it's the like, exact same conversation like, we, it's the thing yeah yeah and it's because ace wants him safe he wants him in the club where he's going to have brothers that protect him he's sort of trying to recreate the family he had like he's he would love to bring gia into you know he wants to have all his siblings tightly together and cared for by the okanes and Jared doesn't see a place for himself in, in the okanes until ace almost dies and then he's like hey, hey ace cannot die and second everybody that Ace cares for cannot die. So he's Mm -hmm. like willing to do the self-sacrificial, I'm going to go into the darkest pits of Eden and grab, mingle with politicians to to grab information. I mean, which we come to see how dangerous this is um, because even though he doesn't believe the dream of the O'Kanes, he believes that Ace needs that and he's going to burn down the world to do that. And that's just like, fascinating to me that that's the motivation that gets him there and i think it's we see that because when ace finds out because nobody tells (laughs) ace until gia kind of tells ace he kind of puts it together on his own but his the thing that he is upset about the most is that jared is putting himself in harm's way in eden not just that, though, it's that he's doing it without fully being a visible member of the O'Kanes. So Ace feels like he's doing it without any of that backup and protection and the gang at his back. And that's that yeah, hurts like that's him. The, and that's yeah, very that's why he frustrating wants him, him. In, he wants him in the gang so he can have family. And basically, Jared has said, I will be part of your gang as long as I'm not part of the family. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like... And it's really, this is, I think, it's not the first time, but I think this is where we really start to, the books really start to focus on um, 
not just the power of the O'Kanes and their actual like inter-family like bonds, but that idea of the O'Kanes. Mm-hmm. We're seeing conversations in this book about um, building community farms and bringing different aspects of different sectors and intermingling this kind of very harsh boundary that's previously been happening, both because Dallas has his eye on the long game with mm-hmm. what's happening with Eden, but also because they are kind of creating this new world post kind of everything um, life for themselves and there's a lot of power in that new ability to create and so I think that this is really the book where that starts to become an even bigger portion of what's right happening. because we go visit three uh, because they they go to a very sexy concert in yeah. three um, boy that I'm like Scarlet must be like hello people I'm up here singing mm. uh, <laughs> everybody's but, just finger banging in the back I can't, can't just ever keep it in their pants they cannot thankfully she has mad's attention Full attention. Um, <laughs> Full attention. Oh, I'm so excited for that book. Oh, anyway. that's, yeah. We're, we're going to have to hit them at some point in this conversation. But um, we get to see three and basically all that Bran and Six have done. That basically they have a working club, that there's a sense of a growing community there. It's not this desolate, broken place it used to be. And so you're seeing the 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 extension of the O'Kane dream into a whole other sector and that it's sort of starting to flower there. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a check-in with Hawk, uh, where we get to see him and where he, you know, he's trying to collect all these favors because he he feels that the age of his um his farm is ending, that things are gonna go wrong there. And but he's also starting to like believe in the dream of the O'Kanes and sort of wants that to come home with him. And I think it's really um, fascinating because we also are getting our implant into Eden now because of this club that Jared is setting up. So now we're starting to see inside Eden and the politics of Eden in a way that like previously we've gotten like pushes into, but because we've been in the sectors and with the O'Kanes, we've largely been on the outside of, but we meet uh, Councilman Markovic in this one and Mm -hmm. what he's going to become, you know, far more important as the politics of this book continue. Um, what I think is really fascinating about the relationship element of this book is I think we've seen a lot of the women who have come to the O'Kane group from the outside who've been very kind of um, emotionally numb or psychologically numb and ashamed. And I think that what's interesting for Lily is that it's also very much so like a physical thing, like because she's been on so many drugs for so long, she's actually like going through the process of detox and like physically coming down. So things are very emotionally overwhelming, but they also get very physically overwhelming for her which I just think is another interesting aspect of like addiction and coming through the addiction process and because of that Jared is always very careful with her Mm -hmm. and it's it's very tender and I think it lends to some of that kind of um like old world because why they bang as hotly as the O'Kanes do the process through which they go to get there is very much so um more quiet and more tender and more introverted almost yeah it's it's, they're in the dark corner watching other people, which is reminiscent of Brennan Six. Um, mm-hmm. um, they have this apartment, um, Jared's apartment, which is sort of not an Eden, as, as very explicitly said at the end, it's yeah, not yeah. an Eden and it's not on the compound. It's this place in between and where like parts of her old life can come back and she sort of can relive them in a better way. And mm-hmm. um, basically she can have a gentle lover um, that she would have never expected, you know, she, mm-hmm. um, and so, so it's really, you know, he's just careful, um, 
to seduce her with more than just his magnetism. You know, it's, it's small touches, the the layering, layering and the layering of those feelings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is very uh, converse to what Jared is having to do, kind of peeling back all those layers of that shell and that mask that over the last, what does he say it is? It's 22, 22 years. 22 years, which... Twenty-two and he years. He tells her not to do the math, and we were talking before how you thought it's because of how many partners he would have had. And for mm-hmm. me, I thought it's like, well, how old is he? Because it feels mm-hmm. like he probably started way too young, which I guess puts him in the same place because she married way too young and was thrust mm-hmm. into a world too young. So there is that element to to both their relationships. And of course, because Brie and Donna can never just make anything nice and simple for anybody. There's also the relationship that is slowly brewing between Lily and Rachel. Um, Lily and Rachel recognize Lily recognizes a lot of herself in Rachel. And we come to learn that, you know, because they both feel um, that they were given to or they basically had no choice. The O'Kanes just took them in kind of without choice on either part. And so struggle with what do I bring to the table? That's me. mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. We saw that very much in Beyond Jealousy, where that's something that she's had to deal with. And then here, finding that something that she feels is so simple, cooking, that's been so much Mm -hmm. of a part of, like, her previous life, is so appreciated and so needed. Um, And like Noelle, she she had just thought that was not something that was valuable. Uh, So again, it's, Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that there's all these moments where women recognize something that has value that was devalued before uh, in their previous Mm -hmm. life. And I do think it's also important that a lot of these things that are being kind of revalued by the characters themselves are also things that are generally devalued at large by like uh, the society in which we currently live, IRL, Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like crafting and things like cooking and things that are much more traditionally seen as like that feminine domain um, for all the issues I have with that label. It's just very interesting to see that those are specifically the things that are being reclaimed. They're not the only things, but they are some of the important things. Um, yeah, you could be like so a badass uh, bouncer uh, fighter woman in the O'Kane world, but you can also be a great conversationalist who knows how to bring somebody's mm-hmm. um, uh, information to the fore because you've yeah. learned how mm-hmm. to listen quietly in the background. And, and you know, mm-hmm. and so, you, so those, those womanly arts, you know, quote unquote, can also be valued. And that's an important thing, I think, of valuing all kinds of femininity, all kinds of womanness um, in the, the O'Kane world. Plus, it just adds such an adorable touch that, like, every time, because Lily doesn't know any better, every time she's like, she brings a plate of cookies to Jared's house and she, like, has brownies for, and it's just like, it's very old world, like, cute, sweet, mm-hmm. but, and like, it's very fitting for, him, for the thing that's happening. Uh, to thank yeah. him for the piano. Uh, yeah, so there's there's a little bit of a um, Harlequin Presents element to it. You know, like he's, yeah. he gives her like this big ass piano, which she realizes right away it's an incredibly ex- uh, expensive gift, which she's like, mm-hmm. holy cow, what are, what does this mean? <laughs> and uh, time out. Somebody tell me <laughs> what he expects. Right. What's going? What are the rules and here? Yeah. She walks to the lion's den in a sense, you know, with her little uh, basket and um goes visit the big bag wolf who's just wants mm-hmm. to eat her cookies. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Oh, yes, you did, Anna Fran. That was so good. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, but that is, I think, why it's so 
we always love narratives mm-hmm. of women uh, fully reclaiming their power. But in this book, it really gets pushed because um, Lily, through the process of detox and stuff, by the end of this book, really so actively wants to become a part of this world that Jared is setting up and is so active and insistent about kind of pitching herself to him and going, no, listen, I've done this thing. I know these people. I can operate in this world and like I can take care of myself. I just want to be doing it with mm-hmm. you and in the same space that you are with. And so to really see her kind of um, reclaiming not just her skills that she brings to the family, but also like her own past and being willing to go back into that environment that she left in such a negative space and say, no, I in my own power can now operate in this world in a different manner. Yeah, and it's, it's just interesting so to see. And awesome. I mean, I think we've seen Lily go uh, advocate for herself before Logan before, right? Where she has made a meal dress very nice has done all the things to get her way um mm-hmm. and we've seen it go wrong but she's had that experience and have it be a sort of mirror that ex- that situation because in a, he has the right to say yes or no on whether he she goes with him on this mission right um and have it but her place of power is so different um and her you know, she's not doped up in order to do this. She doesn't have to numb herself. In fact, she is very present in her emotion in her life, uh, that what she's claiming there. And has to take it when he doesn't want her to go. And has re- I mean, he has real baggage issues of why he doesn't want her to do it. But it's a powerful moment that she asked for it and that she also doesn't cave. Uh, when he, yeah. you know, like she's gonna, she's gonna love him, and but she needs this, and she needs him to recognize that she needs that. And that's such an interesting um, kind of twist on that, like plot convention or that particular like source of stress in their relationship is that once he says no, she accepts it. Like she, she, she doesn't, but she's willing to say, if what you really need is for me to sit at home, then I will sit at home and stay safe. But she says that. And he hears that both of them knowing that that will kill her, that that will slow and it will kill him because it will kill her. Like they will slowly erode their relationship together because she will give him this thing that he Mm -hmm. thinks he wants out of fear. And so it's such an interesting, it's a very small moment, but it's so important to their dynamic as a relationship. He's been trying to encourage her to claim and to feel and to sort of, and then he's realizing that by asking this, he's asking her to like put those layers right back up because she's mm-hmm. like, okay, I, I've done this before. I've been home and listened to somebody. I can do that. I mean, I know how to, if that's what you want, I can do it. But he, he realizes that that's not um, what he really wants from her either because he's, she's seen through him in the way some other people mm-hmm. haven't. Uh, he know, um, and, and it's interesting how his defenses fall with her Um in a way they haven't because he is not ace he is not someone who has to feel his work um so mm-hmm. all his years as a prostitute in eden has not made him fall in love with all these young women who are jaded women who want to feel so he is not in love with the fact that he's uh sexually awakened her that's not what he's in love with yeah. he's in love with the fact that she sees his need and uh, sees the layers that in mass that he puts on um and mm. by basically asking her to like just don't touch that part 
uh, he realized he's going to lose something too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, jumping ahead to the end, although we will go back, I think that's why it's so um, interesting, the kind of way that they managed to resolve this by bringing in Ashwin and bringing in this uh, third party kind of external force. And Jared is able, and the first time I read it, I didn't entirely know how I felt about it because it very much so feels like Jared is kind like of can be here still asking yeah. that, but... Yeah, like, it's just he's not going to do it. Like, he's not going to be the one to, act, like, but he's hired basically this kind of invisible <laughs> presence to keep her safe if things really start to go wrong. And, of course, as we learned the last time we saw uh, Ashwin, which is when he was saving Ace's life, he doesn't do those things without uh, being guaranteed some kind of favor in return. And so now there's this kind of sword of Damocles. Um, but I think that's what's really important. And what really brought me around to this in the end is the idea that, like, Every character's happy ending in this situation is defined in and of themselves. And Lily seems absolutely fine and happy with the solution that if what it takes for Jared is to have this feeling of protection, this kind of insurance policy, if that's truly what he needs, she is willing to to do that because it has also given her the thing that she needs, which is to be in this environment with him. And that, she le- that he has to learn that she's going to do unpleasant things just as much as he does. And that's where that moment for that they have in the back room in the club where she is sitting yeah. on one of the casks. She is massaging her feet and basically like just had this encounter with a woman who had loved to belittle her mother and had to sort of play it nice and play it dumb and you get the sense of this is tiring. This takes something from her. And he he has those moments where they, you know, he's had to deal with former clients and that they, they can both see each other having suffered something and not be like, okay, you got to go home. No, it was sort of like, yep, yeah, that's what we do, you know, and then they have some like uh, against the wall sex and, you know, stress relief that out. But it's sort of like they, you know, everybody has parts of their work that isn't good. We all have done the gone home and, and complained about work. And that moment was sort of like they can do this about the spy job. And so that that's where I'm like, it's not her waiting to hear when he comes home having her unload this is a mutual thing they listen to each other they experience unpleasant things but they both are committed to the journey so that was for me like that's the moment that all that stuff with Ashwin where he needs to assure that she has a way out that feels more like something that he needs to do pro forma for his anxiety brain but yeah the Mm -hmm. day-to-day her as a partner is a real thing that actually happens yeah. And I think that's where I got to, too, because it's very much so by the end, they feel like they are equal partners in this. They feel like, you know, she's got the front of house, he's got the back of house at the bar, you know, but they're both working. It's very like a Mr. and Mrs. Mm-hmm. Smith, like they're on that same like level playing field and the power balance feels very yeah. solidified. Um, going back a little bit just to talk about some of the the politics and the world building stuff because like we've been talking about Jared is a mm-hmm. spy he is spying for the okayans he is setting up basically a speakeasy in Eden and the first time you know he starts getting his shakedowns and at first we're not sure if it's just kind of standard run of the mill of what everybody has to go through who's operating in Eden kind of shakedown but really things um start to intensify uh, when he gets jumped and he has to go to Gia and he chooses to go to Gia first rather than back to the compound, um, which I just think is a really interesting choice and a really interesting moment because in the process of getting mugged, we also learn that Jared is kept very tightly to this one specific 
um, basically relic or antique that Eladio, their mm-hmm. their old trainer, mm-hmm. gave them. And we learned that Gia also has one. Fairly safe to assume that Ace also has something of there, some yeah. kind. Yeah, that Eladio was given to him. And so I think it's it's another one of those slow peeling back of moments that he and Gia are able to have that conversation about where they are as adults, where they were as children, what Eladio would have thought about how their path has kind of come through, because that's really the only parent figure the two of them right. have. Ace has kind of been adopted into this family, and now he and has, he has Dallas, but really, of his mother for all of them, they're first. I don't think Jared and Gia have expressed. Um, and so yeah. they have that survival mode, street kids, and they really sit and they talk about the the beliefs and the things that Eladio prepared them for and whether they fit the world that they're in and what to take and what to keep mm-hmm. and what to let go of. Um, because I mean, that's hard. Yeah. They, they had that he was preparing them to survive a very brutal career, which he felt was mm-hmm. the best option for them. Um, and it has marked all of them in different ways. And now they're retiring or moving on. And how, what are the, the protections he gave them for the emotional work of sex work? Um, does it fit the next part of their life? You know, what can, what can they keep and what can, you know, the whole thing of being somebody else's fantasy and claiming something for themselves, you know, that that's very different. And I think it's also, you know, this is why I think it's always great to read those interstitial novels because Gia mentions in this conversation a little bit of of having her history with Tatiana and some of the things that that relationship on her end, you know, made her realize or kind of brought to the forefront about the way Eladio had Mm -hmm. raised her, you know. And so I think it's, you know, we know because we just read, you know, we have that kind of added layer of fully understanding what happened there. But also it's even on just that level of, you know, worth realizing that this is also something Gia has dealing with, you know, kind of big, cold, removed, also like a Karis light, like obviously not as evil, but, you know, kind of working the same game and having to make some of the same emotional decisions and stuff. But this is the point we realized that maybe she is also getting very tired of that game. And she's also really starting to wonder if that is the only way that there is to be, which she's thought for so long is the way that her life had right. to and be I mean, put together. Seen, especially in her relationship with Jenny. Um, because she it definitely deeply cares for Jenny to the point where she is scared to care for Jenny because Jenny is an O'Kane. Um, in the, it, and she is as much in Lex and Dallas's bed as in hers. And basically she doesn't have the family to offer to her. Uh, that so basically it's like how can you compete against that um but still wanting mm-hmm. and so like I, I i still want a story for gia um that gives us more about what she needs and to build and because yeah i don't mm-hmm. it, she's as powerful and dangerous in her own way as dallas so yeah i, I see her very mm-hmm. much in that sort of if she wanted to she could go for uh sector power you know uh, as becomes very important mm-hmm. at the end of this book, with that definitely she has some dangerous, dangerous connections that she can pull. Um, which, speaking of which, we will go ahead and go to kind of uh, what is basically the climax of the book, which is after several shakedowns. Uh, oh my God, not Ashwin. what's his name? No, not no, Jordan. Okay, so there's what's Peterson, name? Jared. <laughs> oh God, no! Oh my God, I forgot his name. Oh my God, I'm losing my mind. Okay. Oh. 
basically Jared has been um, taken into the black the back room. Uh, he's in that small windowless room where nothing good ever happens. Um, and he yeah, is Dylan in trouble. Has, Dr. We Jordan, that he has, uh, Dylan has warned him that that's what can happen to you if you go up against Eden, right? That they'll take. Which is very interesting for when we get to his book because we learn that the reason the doc knows that is because he was in the room doing some things that are still lingering with him in a very dark way. Um, But we also learn that Jared has made the O'Kane's promise that they're not going to come after him. Like that was his. He was like, all right, I'm going to spy for you. I'm going to do all this, but you can't send anyone after me. You can't. I that can't happen. Um. Which, of course, Dallas says yes and doesn't happen because it's well, the O'Kane's and, and like, yeah. who are we even kidding? Who are we kidding? Who are we even kidding? Um, but Lex and Dallas are not the ones who make that call. They are actually willing to honor their kind of promise to Jared. They think that's the most honorable thing to do is that they have committed to him and made their promise and they're going to do their best to keep it as much as it kills them and actually hurts them as people. Um, but Lily is not gonna have Lily that doesn't have um, yeah and ace doesn't really want to have that either have cuffs uh and i, I love that moment yeah, where she, she doesn't have like, rules to play by how yeah. can you not go for him and basically they're like lex looks at her and is like well he has some people that maybe could, she could call <laughs> you know who could call and so yeah. basically like gives gives lily the information she needs in order to rescue him but she has to be the one that mm-hmm. that goes and, to gia yeah. and pulls the strings and not only that she has to be the one who walked into eden and that's where like as much as he's wanted to keep her from um dealing with the mock of eden she has to walk in and it's so interesting the 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 moments that she has where she looks around and sees all that eden has all the money and clothes and buildings they have elevators for goodness sake and um she's like she's not gonna let these people have jared and pulls all her manipulative strings that she can and really makes hell of a deal for uh, Jared and for the O'Kanes. And what's, I think one of the most interesting things about that whole um, scene is that at first she's talking to Gia kind of before she walks in and she's going, she's originally going to do it very much. So like her normal defenses are to be very demure, to defer to him, to be very kind of um, resigned and um, shy and submissive and through that to manipulate him. But she realizes that the minute she gets in front of Markovic, that that's not going to work, um, which is so interesting and powerful for her because it just is a testament yeah, to her ability to do this. She can read a room. Yeah. That she can read the yeah. room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she knows that that's not going to work. All that's going to do is piss him off. She needs to mm-hmm. be forthright with him. And she needs to say the things she needs to say and put her deal and her yeah, cards on the table to, say, to like, get the response from a, him that she you wants. You want to trade with O'Kane because he keeps promises. And... It's that's mm-hmm. such like she reads Markovich for like the true believer that he is and who wants to know that, that the O'Kings can be trusted rather than just our vice driven rabble. You know, um, it, it's really fascinating. And you're like, oh, you know, when all this she has a future in negotiations. <laughs> and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just. It's the thing that I love about mm-hmm. spy books and these kind of political intrigue thrillers is that moment of watching all of kind of the gears lock into place because she not only is able to make a deal 
that gets Jared out. But it's a deal that allows Markovich to save face and even grow in power within Eden. So the the actual political maneuvering of what it is that she's doing and she's negotiating is so subtle and so mm-hmm. like brilliant that just to watch because again it's that situation of because it's a, a romance you know how it will end but you don't know how it's going to get to the ending it's going to get to so watching all those pieces fall into place yeah, was because at so the beginning satisfying of the book, there's no way you see that lily walk into eden that you know but she has grown yeah. she has found herself she has you know she her mother's response to like you're gonna get married to your dad's henchman is here's some drugs and um she has to learn that she has a core that can help her withstand awful situations without being medicated and numbed and whatever that she has the strength to keep her composure and no you know so it's there's all these things that she learns from about herself that she never expected to learn which are just so um really fascinating because it's it's contrasted with Jared coming out and having to struggle in the immediacy of thinking that the O'Kanes have broken their promise and being frustrated <laughs> that she's put herself in this dangerous position while also being really proud of her for being able to push the pieces and switch the levers in the way that she did. And, you know, as is usually the case, that's kind of his first big awakening to she can handle it, she can do it. this is a me thing not a her thing like and so it starts that process of them coming to their conclusion but I just love Jared and I love the ways that his history and his backstory as a character have kind of put him in this position to um, fit what Lily needs and you know we we make a lot of jokes and you know the fandom kind of makes a lot of jokes about you know six being Bren sexual but I think you could say something very similar here in that like both Jared and Lily are not necessarily only interested in the idea of one another, but so perfectly right. cast they, for they one fit. another that um, it's a very fit. insular I mean, like, relation. There's yeah. the beautiful scene where um, Rachel, uh, well, Lily issues an invitation that might be more of an invitation that she thought she tries to play off. And Jared calls her on it of like, no, <laughs> yeah. I think you knew what you were inviting them for. Um, and, and that's such a neat moment of like, no, you like Rachel and you like enough to want to see more Mm -hmm. of them together. And sort of like, don't lie to yourself that you want this too. Um, It's, it's such a neat little moment because yeah, in a sense, it's that invitation more. Yeah. But she could have called it back and said, no, 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 it's just dinner guys. It's just, she didn't do any of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they have this, this beautiful moment where they, they see each other, they feel each other. They are, um, you get a sense that that won't be the last dinner they share. Um, and it's yeah. where, you know, like Jared gets invited in to Ace and Cruz and Rachel with Lily. Like they, they're an us. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's the, yeah. the development of the story. They, they've worked from being sort of individuals put to more and more like, no, we're going as us. We're doing as us. And, and, Mm-hmm. And Lily, as, as she started, she's the one who's claiming that um, and knowing that it could be really heartbreaking, that she might be rejected, that yeah. it might be too much, that um, maybe he doesn't want this us. Um, but it shows so much bravery as, as she keeps claiming that every step of the way. And it's not just us in bed. It's not just us at the piano. It's us in the trenches. Which echoes Lex and Dallas, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was just getting ready to say. And it's so um, 
after after watching the way that Jared and Ace's relationship has played out, it's really kind and emotionally satisfying to get the to find to see them find this way to not really be in the full relationship that I think maybe Jared started out this book think really still wanting to be in while knowing that could never but they really kind of find this almost middle ground and way to be together that brings both of them mm-hmm. joy and some closure on that particularly kind of more fraught aspect um of their and, life. And Lily recognizes uh, Jared's love for Ace. That's also huge to me where when he sends her away um when they have that argument when he's recovering and who does oh, she go yeah. to send into the room is Ace because she knows what Ace yeah. means to Jared. And so that's an important thing uh, to see. You know, she might not be an O'Kane in history. She might be from a very yeah. different world, but she recognizes love and recognizes people's place in each other's lives. Absolutely. All right. Well, yeah. we have already talked quite a bit about this book, maybe one of the ones we've talked about the most so far. But do you have uh, particularly standout favorite moments or anything that didn't work of quite their as well story, for you? Uh, one of my favorite moments is when, you know, Jared in his mind is comparing uh, Lily's playing versus his playing. And they talk about proficiency versus passion. Uh, yeah. It's so good. It's not a cliche thing of like listening to somebody play the piano for a romantic moment. Sure. Uh, But it isn't in this world. And, um, and, and I, and there's a moment where like, Liz, like maybe she'll let me play with her with Scarlett. You're like, oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm sure Scarlett would be more than happy with that. All the kinds of playing. I'm sure Scarlett would be down. So, yeah. Should we um, go back and talk about Scarlett and Mad and Jade? And uh... Yes, we absolutely should because they are our next big uh, cast of characters for our next big novel. And we have been watching them kind of dance around each other and be involved with each other in different ways for mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. basically all of the books now by this point. Um, and so, yeah, let's go back. We first see um, Scarlett in this book when they are going to her concert in Sector 3, and we get this section from Mad's point of view in which he is just watching her. Yeah. He is just standing there like, he didn't entranced with her. this voice to come out of her, this music to come out of her, and he suddenly sees her in a very different light. And then we fast forward, and towards the end of the book, we get a scene between Scarlet and Jade, which is the first kind of... um that I can remember, like, concrete confirmation that Scarlet and Jade have a thing going on. I think it's maybe been hinted at in some of the other books. Um, I mean, we've known that the reason Mad's been so mad at Finn is that he cares for Jade, but we haven't necessarily seen a whole lot of Scarlet uh, with Jade, just as she's been mentioned. And so, yeah, so they have this moment where they're in bed and they're... um, Jade's is sort of like testing the waters of like, you saw Mad. <laughs> he clearly wants you. Mm-hmm. And Scarlett's trying to like play it off of like, no, I'm happy right here. This is all I got. This is all I need. Or, or basically like, Mad doesn't want me. I'm not broken enough, you know, and and I'm not, um, mm-hmm. I'm too dominant. You know, there's that, that whole element of she doesn't see what he would want from her. He sort of, she's mystified at mm-hmm. his attention because to him, to her, it's clearly, no, no, Mad loves Jade. Again, it's very much so echoing some of those early things that we saw between, like, uh, Rachel and Ace and Cruz in terms of, like, 
just not being able to accept. And of course, by this point, we've already been in Mad's head. So we already know that Mad is looking at Scarlet and liking what he sees and is more than interested in that. Like, I don't think he's fully admitted it to himself, but he's clearly interested beyond just like a friendship level Mm -hmm. in Scarlet as a human. Um, And of course, we've seen in previous books that there's been some kind of history between Doc and Mad. And there is something going on there that we have not fully explored, but is clearly loaded. And so to finally be in that. Right. And in this book, they they just sort of hint of like, he hasn't been sleeping alone, uh, which is like, yeah, basically him and, and, and Dylan are together. And so, yeah, there's that. You, we got our pieces, and they're starting to be like, "Oh, this, <laughs> this is gonna be messier than we thought." Which you know is is it's our it's our first mm-hmm. like love quadrilateral. It's our biggest like love shape so far. So it is definitely, um, I think, a testament to the the craft, the actual behind the scenes writing craft of getting all those pieces set up so that when we get to their book they don't have they can spend more of that time mm-hmm. being together and slightly less of that time in the development and of the we've seen the attraction we've seen the interest we've seen even the sort of negotiating conversations of are you into that um and now it's gonna be mm-hmm. when it all comes together i think that it's really great that the scene with maddox and scarlet mm-hmm. takes place at a concert in this mm-hmm. book i love the music in this book we've seen lots of different kinds of crafting and obviously like Ace's tattoo artistry before, which I just have to give a shout out. I love that Jared gets shield cuffs. I love that he gets like a knight errant theme in his cuff work. I just think that there's something so beautiful about that. But this is the first book where we really have seen music become um, mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. the art of the book, you know, or kind of the, the lens or the focal point through which we're looking at things. Like you said, there's that really beautiful scene where Jared is comparing them playing. There's really beautiful scenes from Lily where she talks about even through all of her like pharmaceutical numbness, um, hearing the Moonlight Sonata was enough to maybe make her think mm-hmm. emotions mm-hmm. could be like a mm-hmm. thing that she could feel. Um, and so, you know, everybody I think has a connection to music of some kind and so to see that as the art form that's really kind of um embraced and used to uh kind of portray different things in this book is really beautiful (laughs) plus they have super hot sex on a piano and it's really great and like i don't even care if banging on a piano is a cliche from pretty woman it's so good it's i feel like there are a lot of things in this book because it is almost kind of more in that like harlequin-y old school lead type of vein that like would almost be like kind of stereotypical romance things but also like they're not in this world, like you said. Well, and also and I mean, they're done so good that like I just don't care. Like, they have a condom conversation. We've never seen that before. Um, yeah. There's, mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. pregnancy scare conversation that occurs because she sort of like, oh, crap. He forgot the condom. <laughs> and right. she does a very mature thing of like, let's go get it checked out. And, and so like, yeah, there's all mm-hmm. these little like – elements from like contemporary romance and from uh historical romance that get sort of put in the blender here and do something really interesting in the okane world because it all works i think that's that's kind of the power of the fact that in this universe they're working in that world that is kind of a blank slate almost or is has so many things have been shifted that they are able to pull in 
some of that old world and also some of those new world things in a way that yeah. still yeah. just meshes mm-hmm. and works really well together. Um, that's one of my favorite scenes is when <laughs> they fuck on the piano. But also I love that scene that you kind of vaguely mentioned at the end before they go into the storage closet where we are in Lily's head and we are watching her have this conversation with this woman and she's almost um, kind of bored by it. Like you literally see her like going through the like, oh, and now I have to pretend to be like this. And now I have to I have to be a little bit more energetic and give her the gossip. And like you can literally see she's how the manipulation that she's working is going through her mind. And it's just such a like beautiful scene of her being in that particular power and knowing how to use it so well and really just like bringing to the table all those things that she told right, Jared she could bring to the table. She also has to go take that break because otherwise she was going to smash her face in into the bar because she's had uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> physical training now, which is sort of an allusion to the stuff that we see with Tatiana in the previous book uh, where Six mm-hmm. and the women are now allowed to fight for the for the world that's a thing that dallas very explicitly says like that's what he has to get used to but obviously they have a right to fight for this world too and they're not just fighting with manipulation and whatever they're fighting physically and that he has had to come to terms with that that that's something going forward the okane women are as much a part of the gang in that way and that's and yeah and that's a really i think powerful thing to end on because it is so important and like i was saying i think kind of one of the key Um, takeaways from this book. Uh, There's a specific quote that I want to read. He goes, having the right to be here was never the question, darling. Well, not recently, but it's a lot harder to admit that you have the right to fight and bleed alongside us. Lex caught his hand. It's our home too, our dream. Um, And that really just kind of puts in black and white, inarguably on the paper, what I think is the the key takeaway from the entire Mm -hmm. development of this entire like 13 book arc series is that it's not just about um, belonging and equality. It's about equity. And it's about the realization and the acceptance that while the style may look different and the the ways in which one fights and the tools that one uses may look and be different, that doesn't lessen the power or the necessity of all the pieces there to work together. Um, if they had not had Lily's um, knowledge of social graces in Eden paired with Gia's connections paired with, you know, Ashwin, who knows Cruz, like all of those pieces fitting together, it wouldn't work like right. that. So everyone has to be Jared at the table. has to find his own place in the gang. And that's why he becomes a spy because he does. He tells Ace, can you see me going yeah. on collection runs? That's not going to be him. Yeah. Yeah. He's not yeah. the fight night kind. He's not going to be. And that is, you know, and it's, I think really important, and I'm glad you mentioned it, that it's Jared going through that process, too, because it's not just the females in this group. It's not like all of the mm-hmm. okay men are cut from that same, um, you know, kind of hyper-masculine, right. he's, he's physical cloth. Like, that's not smooth. Jared's skill set. And he has connections to this world that he can bring, too. And even if he's not going to be, you know, brawling it up. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh man. Well, book. we could probably keep going. I'm sure there's like a dozen things that we missed. I love this book so much. Uh, I think it is officially taken like second place favorite uh, beyond behind Beyond Jealousy. We will be back in a couple of weeks. We're going to be combining a couple of actual shorts. Closed Door is a Dallas, Lex, Noel, and Jasper piece of short fiction and then blank canvas is ace Cruz, and rachel they reach about 6500 words and i believe you can still find them online although we'll double check and we'll link to them in the show notes um because they're so short we're going to pair them up but these are basically just some kind of fun standalone 
vignettes, extra scenes that um, really do some cool world building mm-hmm. stuff, too, at the same time. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Uh, in the meantime, Anna, do you want to tell them where they can find us? Yeah, you can find us at beyondthesectors.com where all our show notes and information live and also uh, Beyond Sectors on Twitter. Wonderful. And I am on Twitter at An Outlaw Life. And I'm on Twitter as Anna Koki. All right, friends. Well, that's quite a lot of words about Beyond Innocence. So come find us to chat about all your book feelings. Uh, We will see you in a couple weeks. And until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and we'll see you beyond the sectors. Bye, guys.